We're all chatty this morning. It's awesome. I love a family that loves one another. It is awesome. I'll wait. I love to watch you guys exchange the peace of Christ, the hug. It's amazing God's timing. Um, as several weeks ago, I had the privilege of getting away and outlining the book of Ephesians, praying, studying, reading, stacks of commentaries. Um, just God's providence knew that today I'd be preaching on a prayer that Paul had, uh, a prayer to open the eyes of our hearts. Open our eyes of our hearts because we want to see Jesus. And at the time, I had no idea how much that prayer would mean to me. Uh, but he did because he's eternal. Uh, he knew that uh, we would be right here right now, uh, still wrestling with a major decision in front of us, uh, which way to go. God is shining in two possible directions, and we're asking God, but what is yours? Um, very encouraged for those of you who are visiting and don't know what in the world I'm talking about. Uh, my wife Katie's been diagnosed with cancer, and uh, um, what we have looks very doable, beatable, treatable. We're very, very thankful for that. We see God's blessing all around us. But would you join us in prayer, even in the next 24 hours, that God would open the eyes of our hearts so that we could see His will, um, so that we can most glorify Jesus, our Savior, and uh, find His path and His goodness. So if that could be your prayer for us, we would be much obliged. And again, as Paul prays this prayer, he thanks God for the congregation. And I know how he feels as a pastor. I thank God for the family of Orangewood. And I thank God for the love and the support and the prayers that are here, that are real. Again, if you're visiting with us, it's, it's, we're not making this up. We really love each other in Christ. This is an amazing family. Um, and we're awfully glad you are here. In our text today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look into a prayer that Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. There's great news. Anytime we read Scripture, even if it's a prayer to someone else, we know that God has it there for us. So we don't have to hear this prayer through a third party. But the Holy Spirit wants us to hear this as well. And the prayer is this. The prayer is to open the eyes of our heart. Interesting. Or enlighten our hearts. Let us have spiritual understanding. And this should really remind us of the entire story of the Bible. This, this prayer, if we think about having a prayer asking for spiritual insight, maybe we want to ask, well, why do we need this spiritual insight? What happened? That Paul will specifically have to pray now that our hearts would be open. And we go all the way back to the story of creation. As we go all the way back and see God working in creation, we see that it was Satan himself, the father of lies, who came to God's image bearer, man and woman, and he made a promise. He made a terrible promise. He said if we rebelled against God, if we sinned against God, that the eyes of our heart would be opened. I mean, Satan went to Adam and Eve and said, oh, God doesn't really mean what he's saying. He doesn't want you to eat that forbidden fruit because he doesn't want you to truly see. He doesn't want you to truly experience. He doesn't want you to truly live. He doesn't want you to be like him. The father of lies whispered that in our ears and we listened. It's amazing we still listen. Satan offered us vision. He offered us knowledge. 
We rebelled from God. We listened to Him. And what do we get? Spiritual blindness. Spiritual death. Yes, now we know the difference between good and evil, but actually we've even lost the ability to see what is truly good. What Satan promised he didn't deliver. Instead of insight, we got blindness. Instead of life, we got death. Paul himself, who wrote this, knows something about spiritual blindness and the opening up of his spiritual eyes. Paul, before he came to Christ, was a religious zealot. I mean, he had an incredible zeal for religion. But Paul's understanding of the Old Testament and Paul's religion led him to persecute, even kill Christians. That's how blinded his heart was. That's what sin had done in his life. Acts tells us three times of Paul's conversion experience. The first one is found in Acts chapter 9. And Paul is on the way to Damascus. Now Paul is going to be the writer of the book of Ephesians that we're going to look at. Who's going to pray this prayer. Paul's on his way to Damascus. He's on his way. He's got some orders. He's going to round up Christians, persecute, maybe even kill them. And on the way to Damascus, he comes into face-to-face contact with Jesus. An amazing contact that was so bright that Paul fell to his knees. And even though his eyes were open, the brightness of Christ blinded him. But through that encounter, the spiritual eyes of his heart were opened. As a matter of fact, what it says in the book of Acts chapter 9, that something like scales, uh, the callous scales of sin actually fell from his eyes after this encounter, and he could see. So when Paul was talking about a prayer of spiritual eyes being opened, we need to know that he had incredible intimate details himself of this prayer, of this reality. You know, when you hear about this, open the eyes of our hearts, and many of us want to sing because what we want our hearts open to is what Paul has been talking about in this letter. If you've been journeying with us, all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms are ours in Christ Jesus. God, open our eyes to see who we are in Christ, to see these incredible blessings, to see the riches. But it's even in Acts chapter 9 when Paul has an encounter with Jesus Christ that will change his life forever, that will give him true life, true meaning, true joy, and true now insight. Paul's also told that he's going to suffer. That he is going to suffer greatly for the namesake, for Christ. And we begin by realizing that even with spiritual eyes that can see the truth of God does not mean that we have supernatural eyes that we are going to avoid all suffering. But we have a fellowship with Christ. Because did He suffer? And we know in Him we have a fellowship. And we also know that we can see glory and riches and hope beyond our pain and beyond our suffering. So turn with me in your Bibles. Let's look at this prayer. Ephesians 1. Verses 15 through 23 through the rest of the chapter where Paul is going to kneel and pray. There's two prayers that Paul prays uh, in this passage. We're going to get to chapter 3. Listen to God's holy and errant word. Listen to this love letter. Listen to the way Paul prays for us and prays for the church at Ephesus. 
that has been given to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, verse 15. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, and remember all the saints are are the believers, those who have been called out of darkness. These aren't some people that the church determines that are saints. These are God's people. These are, this, these are sinners like you and me that have been rescued by the blood of the Lamb. This is unbelievable. This is who He calls us, saints. So here is Paul saying, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the believers, all the saints, Paul now, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened or opened, that you may know, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised from the, Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And He, God the Father, put all things under His feet, God the Son, and gave Him, Christ, His head over all things, to the church, which is His body, His family, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, that is my desperate prayer this morning. That God, You would come and that You would open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see Jesus. Father, we need to not look to anyone else. And Father, we need to hear from no one else but Jesus and Jesus alone. So God, would You do that which only You can do? Speak through a broken sinner who desperately needs this message. Give us Your voice so that we can have Your hope. So that we can have Your power. So we can understand Your inheritance. And so that we could live for Christ as our head and as our King. So God, open up our ears to hear. Spirit of living God, shine Your light into our minds to understand. Father, reach in and remove a a heart of stone, a heart of unbelief, a heart of sin. And replace it with a heart of flesh. Father, for Your glorious grace, for the praise of Your glorious grace, empower our feet to walk in a manner worthy of the Gospel, in wisdom, and in knowledge of You. Father, the things that are said that are my opinion or that are wrong, may they quickly fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are true, the things that contain the good news of Jesus, use those things to remake us like Your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. May You receive all glory. May we receive joy and challenge. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Again, open the eyes of our hearts. We're going to look at the beginning of this is how God opens the eyes of our heart and then why. The how and the why does God open the eyes of our hearts. Let's begin with the how. How does God do it? How does God open the eyes of our heart? Well, the answer is back in verse 17. Do you see the beginning of this prayer? Paul is now praying that God would give something because God's always the initiator. We don't have this on our own. God always has to give and initiate with us. But what Paul is asking for, that God would give us the spirit of wisdom and knowledge and revelation of Him, to know Him. What Paul is asking for is salvation. I mean, Paul's basically saying, God, would you please open the eyes of these sinful people's hearts so they will see your Son as the only Savior of the world? Will you please, as we have agreed upon before time began, Ephesians 1.4, God chose for Himself a family. Jesus comes and rescues a family. The Spirit applies that. Would you come now and would you apply this saving grace And make these sinners your family. Give them the knowledge of Jesus as Savior and Lord. Make this revelation. What he's actually saying, it's amazing. He's basically saying, God, give them a heart transplant. Because a sinful heart cannot see God. A sinful heart never can see God rightly. Ever since we believed the lie of Satan, we lost the spiritual insight to see. And so what we first need is a radical heart transplant. This is what Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 36, uh, 26. That God Himself would give us a new heart. He would put a new spirit in, in us. So how do we see? We see by God's grace. We see by God's initiative. We see by God's work. We see by God's transplant. That's the how. How, God? How do you do it? Well, we begin with revelation of Him. We begin with a relationship with Him. We begin with a new heart. A heart that now beats for Him, that loves Him, that responds to Him. It's a removal of the old. It's it's God giving us a new. We are new creatures in Christ. What does He do? It's kind of like exactly what happened to Paul happens to all of us. The scales of our sinful eyes falls off. He removes the callous film of sin from our eyes and we now have the ability to see. Once we become the Christ, is now, uh, do we always have the ability to see? Do we always see crystal clear? No, this is a continued prayer. It's a once prayer that God will give us a new heart. That's salvation once. But now we've got to continually pray as Christians because our hearts continually get dirty. We continually need to have our hearts cleansed and keep from the dirt of sin. All right, have you ever had a filthy windshield? Of course you have. How do you like driving with a filthy windshield? Do you ever notice that when do you notice a filthy windshield? When do you notice it the most? It's usually when the sun is rising, isn't it? I mean, sometimes in the dark, we can't see with our headlights on how really dark or dirty our windshields are. And so then when the light on the horizon shines forth and light starts to come in, we see that we have a filthy window And there's a huge glare now that causes us not to see. So what's the first thing you want to do? Turn on your washers. What's the response to doing that? For many of you, it's like me. Darn, they're empty. (laughs) 
how come I didn't fill these up? I mean, why do I have it? It's there in the garage. Came over here this morning. I kid you not. My windshield is filthy. I turned them on. I got this little teeny squirt that didn't make it to my windows. But what happens when the sun's glare is on a dirty window and all of a sudden you hit the washers and they all come up? Do you see immediately clear? The next few minutes are scary because you can't see a thing. I made it worse. It's kind of like hitting your bright lights in fog. You don't do it. Oftentimes when we ask that God would open the eyes of our hearts, it's an amazing process that we go through. And oftentimes it's like the washer fluid hitting when the sun is shining and there's a few seconds of blindness. And there's a few seconds of fear. And I don't know why sometimes God decides to use sandpaper to open the eyes of our hearts. And I don't know why sometimes our hearts are so callous and hard that it hurts so much when He opens them up. But that's the reality I'm living in right now. I mean, there's just times of just sheer blindness. You're begging to God, open the eyes of my heart so I could see. And all you feel like is you've got a bunch of washer fluid on your windows and now ooh, I'm really blind. But we know for the reality that, listen, He answers that prayer. And it passes through loving harms. And some, some of you right now, you've been begging for God, open the eyes of my heart. And some of you are saying, God, why are you using a chisel to do it? Why are you using sandpaper? I'm asking. And it seems like the answer isn't as clear as you want it to be. Hang in there. God will open the eyes of our hearts. He will. And He is. We've got to keep praying for that. We drove uh, this week over to Tampa uh, to uh, one of the latest machines uh, to look at um, Katie's cancer in a 3D fashion, um, to look at things a little bit differently. And i got to tell you, she's beautiful on the inside as well as the outside. <laughs> and we went there because why? Because we wanted to see the clearest. We wanted to see most clearly. We wanted to know. We wanted to go where we could see. And it was so amazing is, is this one procedure is it was uh, they have a camera and you could see and, and they kept on saying, clean the lens, clean the lens, clean the lens. And, and I'm, I'm watching on a 45 inch flat screen TV and amazing pictures and amazing need for a lens to continually need to be cleaned so they could be they could see what they needed to see. It was such a picture of our prayer that we got to continually say, God, clean the lens of my heart clean the lens of my heart because sin continually sticks to it. And I continually, as a sin sticks to it, it just distorts everything I see and I don't see Jesus clearly. Father, clean the lens. Clean the lens so that we can have hope. I know that He's cleaned the lens of our hearts because I see verses appearing all around our house right now. I see, I see sticky notes all around. And one of the ways He opens the eyes of your heart is... He shakes your world. And as He does, and you, you realize that sometimes you got just Jesus, and you know there's some good news, he's, he's enough. Sometimes we wonder. He opens the eyes of our hearts, and He's done it for you, and He's done it for me. None of us are exempt. Some of the reality, that's just the reality. That we, we're going to have our eyes of our hope, our hearts open sometimes. Sometimes they're going to be cracked open. 
we know that we're going to see Jesus and we know that he's good and we know that he's with us. Well, why? That's the how. How does he do it? Well, he does it by giving us a new heart. He does it by continually cleansing the lens of our hearts. And sometimes he seems to use sandpaper and sometimes he seems to use a very moist, nice, soft towel. But he knows what he's doing. But why? Why does he do it? Why, why do we need to pray as Paul has prayed that our hearts would be open? It's, there's four things here that we're going to look at. One is to open the eyes of our hearts, open the eyes of our hearts to see the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling, because there's hope. We got to have hope. We have to have hope, a living hope, not just hope on a star. To see the riches of his glorious inheritance. Open the eyes of our hearts so we can see riches of your glorious inheritance. And that's something different, I bet, than you think it is. It's amazing. You got to wait to hear this. This is unbelievable. Open the eyes of our hearts to see the power of God, the power, the, the power of God that raises dead. His dead son to life, a resurrected power, the power of God toward us, given to us, to those who believe. Open the eyes of our heart so we can see this power. Open the eyes of our heart to see Christ as the head of the church, uniting all things to him. So again, let's keep digging. Open the eyes of our heart. First thing is this, to see the blessed hope of his calling. I want you to hear the pronoun throughout this sermon of his This is His hope, His power, His inheritance, His glorious riches. This prayer is ultimately about God. Amen. It's ultimately about God blessing us and tapping into His power. What is His hope? What is this glorious hope, this blessed hope? Well, in the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, we have Christ as the message of hope and the messenger of hope. That Christ Himself is the object of hope. That Christ is the initiator with us as hope. Listen, we have no hope without Him. We are truly lost without Him. We are truly dead in our trespasses and sins without Him. The only hope we have for life and life abundantly. The only hope that we have for life eternally. The only hope we have for God's pleasure and blessing is found in Christ Jesus alone. He is the messenger of hope. He is the message of hope. And He is the object of hope. And so what we're asking is, open the eyes of my heart that I may see Jesus because He is my only living hope. And in Him I trust. He is that initiator of hope, the object of a hope. Why is He the object of a hope? Because in Christ, you and I have victory. Listen, do we hear that? We have been united to Christ. Paul makes that abundantly clear. We have been crucified with Christ. We have been resurrected with Christ. All the blessings that Christ has deserved as the obedient Son of God. All the things that He's obtained as God's covenant keeper and maker. He has blessed us with. In Christ, everything that God ever promised is yes. That's our hope. Our hope is in Him. We look to Him because He's opened the door to hope that is living. He truly is our victor. He is the reason for hope. He is the reason of our hope. Because Christ lives, we can live. Do you hear that? Because Christ lives. And you know, hope is an amazing thing around cancer. Because people want to say, I I, I just have this hope that you're going to get through. And I just got this hope. And this hope, listen, the hope we have is not something that I'm making up. The hope we have is in Christ. Thy will be done. It's a living hope. It's not a hope on a star. He beat death. 
He walked around and we beheld Him. Our resurrected Savior. Our greatest enemy is defeated. It's defeated. Yeah, we still taste the pain of it. We still live in the midst of it. But He has made new and He is making new all things. Oh, that we can have the eyes of our hearts open to see the hope of Jesus. That's a living hope. And so what, what type of hope is this in Christ? What's well, a hope of glory? It's a hope of glory. Romans 5.2 says, for those of us who have faith in Christ, He's given us a hope of glory that, that we are going to be made whole, that we're going to see Jesus someday face to face and our loved ones that are with Him. What kind of hope is this? A hope that He will finish what He starts. He always does. Ephesians 1.6, He who began a good work in you, He will be faithful to complete it until that day of Christ Jesus. And I don't know what completion looks like. And I don't know what you and I are going to have to go through until we see Him face to face. But I know for sure that those He called, He's justified. Those He justified, He's going to glorify. We are going to behold Him face to face. We are going to be made whole. It's promised to us. He always finishes what He starts. A hope that He will make all things right. That He will, in His perfect time, make all things right. To get a phone call from Walford Thompson this week and to be pray with Katie and me. And uh, Those of you who have been around Orange with his family for a long time, you know Walford. You know what an incredible preacher he is. And he would remind us every time he comes, he'd say, God is good. All the time. And he prayed. He prayed Romans 8.28 that all things, not some things, not most things, but all things work together for good. For those who love Christ Jesus. For those who have been called according to His purpose. And he said, Jeff, in that great accent of his, he said, Jeff and Katie, as you realize that all things will work together for your good and for His glory, you will find freedom and not fear. Do you believe it, my brothers and sisters? Do you believe it? That He is going to cause all things, all things, for our good and for His glory. That is hope. Hope that He understands. Isn't it great that we can pray to a Savior that knows our pain? A God who bore our flesh and bore our weakness. A high priest who can sympathize with us because He took on our flesh and weakness. He knows our temptations. He's been tempted in every way like us yet without sin, so that now when I pray and when you pray and when our hope is, is, is fading away, we pray to a high priest who sympathizes with our weakness. Even one who, while he was in the garden about ready to become our sin on a cross, would pray, God, remove this from me. Remove it. I don't want to go through this. He knew it. He wrestled with his Father's will like you and I do. He wrestled with it. And the one we pray to is the one who has a name above every name, who's been given all authority and power is His. And yet He knows our weakness. Think of that great God. Think of it. One who has almighty power and one who is so intimate and knows the pain and weakness of us. What an incredible combination. That's hope. That's hope in one who understands and one who acts. It's hope that all things, all things are under God's reign and rule. All things. 
Nothing's changed. Jesus is on the throne. The Father has lifted Him up, given Him the name that is above every name. All authority has been given to Him in heaven and earth. He reigns. He rules no matter what happens. That is hope. It's His hope. Not only that, but to open the eyes of our hearts to see the riches of His glorious inheritance. Now listen, look at the pronouns here. This is His glorious inheritance. In verse 14, Paul is going to talk about this incredible inheritance that we receive in Christ. All these blessings that we've been adopted into the family. That we have been made sons. But this is something unbelievably, radically different. This is talking about that we may have the eyes to see His glorious inheritance. And here it is. God's people are His inheritance. God's people are His delight. God's people are His treasured possession and His joy. That's what He said to the nation of Israel, to God's people in the Old Testament. That's what He said in Deuteronomy 4. You are my inheritance That's what he said in Isaiah. You are my inheritance. You're mine. I want to show the whole world my family. I am so excited about my inheritance. You are it. You are my treasured possession. This is an amazing mystery that God is telling us that we are his people. We are his treasured possession. We are his inheritance. Let me make this a little bit more clear. We, as His sons and daughters, we are what causes God to run into burning buildings to rescue. We are His treasured possession that causes Him to jump into flooding waters to rescue. Do you understand? God loves us as His treasured possession so much that He's with us and He'll go to the ends of the earth to rescue us. Listen to what Isaiah 43 says. We're living here in Isaiah. Isaiah 43, 1 and 2 says this, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Why? Because we are His inheritance. Why? Because we are His treasured possession. Why? Because He says, when you're in the fire, I'm going to be in there with you. I'll never let you go. I'll never stop loving you. I mean, this is the blessing. Open the eyes to see how valuable you are to Him. You're the one that He's going to jump in the fire to get. You're the one that He's going to rush into the waters. And you'll believe it? Look at the cross. I mean, He'd become flesh to come get you. And for many of us, He had to find us in some pretty dark places. He had to go there. He had to, he had to enter into the wounds and the brokenness and the savagery of sin to rescue us and lift us up. We're His inheritance. And why? Why are we His inheritance? To the praise of His glorious grace 
It's throughout this entire chapter to the praise of His glorious grace. He has made us His family. He has rescued us so we can sing. So we can sing and tell the world there is hope. There is a God who loves. There is a God who rescues. There is a Savior who lives. His name is Jesus. And now our response is to the praise of His glorious grace. That He rescued us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. That He adopted us as His children who once by nature were children of wrath. And now we've been made gloriously His his sons and daughters. Given us His inheritance. We're His. We're His. Listen, we're His family. And He's proud of us. And He's proud of us. In Christ Jesus, we're beautiful. He sees us in all His Son's glory and splendor. We're His radiant bride. We're beautiful. The Father loves us. And He loves to demonstrate His victory through us. Isn't that amazing? That's that's the story of the Bible. God wins. Life wins. And He uses us to declare His victory. It's amazing. To see the riches of His glorious inheritance. Look at how much God loves you. And sing praises to Him. And he says he has done all these things. The Father has done all this. Why? To unite all things in Christ. So we can see the power of God toward those who believe. This amazing power in Christ. What is this power? Well, as his family, he has given us power. Finished power. Let me give you a couple things to think about. Finished power. When Jesus said it is finished on the cross, what does he mean? He means that all your debt and all my debt, all the reason for separation from God has been paid that He's brought us to the Father. It is finished. We are loved. God will never change His mind about you. Never. Never. It is finished. Finished power. Perfected power. Now we know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Philippians 4.13. All things. I'm telling you, we have weak knees right now. And we don't know we can do the next thing. And yet, is it true that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? We have resurrected power. What Paul says in Philippians 3.10, I want to know the power of Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. The power it took for God to raise a dead man to life, that power is ours. That resurrected power. It's the greatest display of God's power is a resurrection. As the greatest display of His love is the cross. We have spiritual power. We're going to eventually get to Ephesians 6 and realize we've got to take our stand against the devil's schemes. That in Christ we can do all things. We have sanctifying power. 2 Peter 1, verses 2 and 3 says that God has given us everything we need to live godly lives. And some of us say, well, I can't help this sin. I can't help but keep on falling into this sin. I can't help it. This is, this is the one thing that troubles me over and over. And I know I wrestle too. But according to Scripture, we have the power of the resurrected Christ to do all things, to live that life God is calling us to do. And lastly, to have the power to see Christ as the head of the church. I'll just say a couple of things briefly about this. As his family, and as Christ is head of the church, and now he's uniting everything, everything under him, we have to realize two things, two things. Here's the first one. Are you in submission to the king? As he is the head, you have to be in submission. That's number one. 
submit everything. Every thought, every decision, every expense. He, you and I as family are under the head of Christ. He is our head. All the blessings flow from the head to the rest of the body. But as the head, every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess. He is our authority. We need to be in submission to the King. We need to live a life pleasing to the King. We need to be serious about avoiding sin. We need to be in submission. Secondly, we have to be on mission for the King. We are His ambassadors. We are His family. We are the ones who have the victory in Christ. Now we are on mission for King Jesus. We are here to declare the praise of His glorious grace. We are here as a city on a hill. We are here as salt of the earth. We are here to proclaim His victory everywhere we go. We are on mission. As a student, you're on mission. As a housewife, you're on mission. As a doctor, lawyer, businessman, businesswoman, teacher, whatever. You are on mission for King Jesus. To accomplish His purpose. To shine for His glorious grace. What an incredible prayer. Open the eyes of our hearts so we can see the hope of His calling. So we can see the glorious riches of His inheritance. So that we can see the incredible mighty power that He has given to those who believe. Open the eyes of our hearts so we can see Christ as the head and that we are in submission and on submission. Because He is our hope. Let us pray. Father God, thank You for the way You radically love sinners like us. And Father, thank You for the most astonishing way that You have demonstrated that love. That Your Son Jesus would come to rescue us. Holy Spirit, thank You for coming and applying that love and the work of the Son to our hearts so that we can have a living hope. Because Jesus lives, we live. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who is yet to have the eyes of their heart opened, that they don't really know Jesus is Lord and Savior, that You do that work that only You could do, a heart transplant, even this morning. Give them the gift of faith and repentance. And let them embrace Christ as Savior and know the joy of loving your Son and the, the life that comes from Him. And for the rest of us, Father, clean the lenses of our hearts. Use sandpaper if you must. Crack it open if you must so that we can see Jesus because He is our hope. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.